Welcome to Norwegian Newcomers, the podcast where you will hear fragments from the lives of Norway's immigrant population. And this is our very first episode. I'm excited and I really hope you'll enjoy. We have a homepage, NorwegianNewcomers.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a Patreon page where you can support us and get episodes earlier than everyone else, plus some behind-the-scenes content. Today, my guest is Samson. Samson, welcome to our family. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for being so positive from the very beginning about this, since we talked about uh, this interview three days ago, and today here you are with us in our little home studio. Oh. So thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you for having me. I think I, I think this, like I said, this was, this is an incredibly novel idea, and more than that, you definitely provide a platform for people like me to share bits of ourselves with Norway at large. So I think this is th- this is quite necessary almost. Thank you very much. Oh, this is really, mm. yeah, I hope this is a mo- motivation speech for mm. me. But for our listeners at first or at the beginning, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, absolutely. Just to get something out the way first, uh, don't let the accent fool you. I am not American at all. Uh, I am originally from Eritrea, or Eritrea, if if you're feeling native. It is a small country on the Horn of Africa, just set the northeast coast of Africa. We are surrounded by Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, and other countries of that region. Uh, Eritrea, for all intents and purposes, is a magnificently beautiful country. We have uh, we have a shoreline with the Red Sea. We have a very rich vibrant culture and if i had to say what i miss the most aside from my family of course it would probably be the food i mean you you, you can't beat that i mean eritrean food for me it's oh man i think i would i would pretty much give up everything i own just to get a decent uh plate of, of injera and sabri, as we call it do you have, uh, uh, are there some restaurants in Oslo where you can... Uh, wow, there were a few. I mean, there was, well, you have to understand, Eritrea and neighboring Ethiopia, it's a lot like, I guess you could say Norway and Sweden in the sense that they're very similar, but not identical. In our case, uh, Eritrean, we, we pretty much have the same cuisine, just different names for it. So you could just as easily go to an Ethiopian restaurant and you'd get pretty much the same thing. Although I, 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 I want to believe deep down that our food is slightly better. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, Vendra, uh, I don't know too many Eritrean restaurants here. There was an Ethiopian restaurant, uh, I think it was in uh, Santanshagen called La Labello, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it's still there anymore. Truth be told, and maybe this is a bit of a personal peeve, but I tend to prefer homemade Eritrean food. I mean, restaurants are great, but for me... Maybe it's because I get the, I, I I can give myself the illusion that it's made with love, but uh, I I much Wait, pref- that's true. yeah I much prefer Eritrean food that I get from I don't know whenever I'm visiting relatives or friends and things like that. 
But tell me if I want to invite my invite myself yeah. for a dinner and to to try uh, some special dish from Eritrea, what would you be? What what can you make something? Oh, me personally? Yep. Absolutely. Well, I, yes and no. And th no, the reason for that is the backbone, or at least the basis for all Eritrean food, is a sourdough pancake. It's it's yeah. called yeah we call it injera. Mm -hmm. It serves as both a it's kind of like a plate, but at the same time you can put all these stews and sauces and salads, and you use and you break it apart. Use that to grab a piece of these stews and just pop it into your mouth like a ball. Uh, the problem with that is it to make the injera, it, it usually three to five days because there's a fermentation process involved. All I know is that I have. There have been time. There was a time where I almost lost the deposit on my apartment because of my, of my inability to get rid of a stench that I, I made because of my attempt to try and make injera. I like to think of myself as a decent cook, but injera has definitely been the one thing I can never make. I I, I like to joke that Eritrean food is uh, vegan friendly, in no, in the sense that another misperception a lot of people outside of Africa might have. Most people would assume that. Most African countries are predominantly Muslim, which is not the case. Eritrea, we are predominantly Christian, specifically Orthodox Christian, meaning uh, we celebrate the same holidays as Norwegians, just on different days. Uh, fun fact, we actually celebrate both, uh, I guess it's called Catholic Christmas and Orthodox Christmas. So that's December 25th and again on January 5th. So uh, Christmas in Eritrea is actually can actually get pretty lit sometimes. Where was I going with this? Uh, but yeah, so... So to answer your question, uh, well, I will have to buy the injera. Thankfully, there are places in Grunland where I can where you can actually buy like yeah. uh, injera. And depending on your taste, I can make you a, uh, I, I guess I can call it a pseudo Eritrean sauce. I say pseudo because we it's usually a, a very spicy stew with lots of paprika, but you definitely need homemade paprika that you can't get in the stores and never mind the stuff that you never mind the spice that you get at the supermarket because that that that's pretty weak if anything you would i would have to i would have to raid uh uh an asia mat try to get as many spices as i can from that and just try to make you a decent sauce uh i, I guess the re yeah the reason i said i called it the vegan option is because orthodox faith i i'm paraphrasing i don't know the the specifics of it but it goes through periods of Lent, where prior to uh, Orthodox Easter, people will uh, abstain from meat and meat byproducts for 40 days and 40 nights. So you pretty much just let, you spend a month and a half just pretty much eating as it living a, a vegan lifestyle. Uh, I can never do that. I, I got I got used to meat. I, yeah, meat lover. Huh? Oh, hell yeah. I can't. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, my father used to tell me a story that when I was six, I tried to beat up a grown man for just to get a uh, slice of pepperoni pizza. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, how in the hell did that happen? Apparently, when you're six years old, when somebody's sitting on a sofa and you just jump up and you're, you're like a spider monkey, is what I, I've been told. And, you know, my, my dad thought it was cute. My mom didn't think so. And uh, she showed me the hard way just how much she disapproved of my spider monkey ways. Where are your parents now? Uh, they're, they're in Eritrea. You have contact. And... Oh yeah, we we you know we keep in touch. I call them from time to time. As worried as I am, I think uh, they're just happy to have the kids out of the house. 
Yeah, yeah, as many of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think they're, I think they're having their uh, quote unquote second honeymoon. <laughs> But uh, tell me, so uh, how old you were when uh, you moved to Norway, and oh. why you moved to Norway? Uh, well, to put it mildly, uh, Eritrea, like a lot of places in the world, had been going through, and in many ways still is going through some instability, which made life there kind of hard. So my old brother and I, we fled Eritrea and we came to Norway as refugees. This was back in uh, probably eight, nine years ago now. When we came to Norway, we we, we came to Oslo and uh, I think we were settled in uh, Porsgrunn of all places. Uh, my brother and I spent a year and a half in Porsgrunn before we then got sent to a small town deep inside Telemark called uh, Drangdal for about... I was there for about three and a half years. Not the best place in the world, I'll admit, but um, it was an interesting experience. Can you recall or? Oh, definitely. Uh, some, uh, how well, did you feel and? Uh... Oh, well, when I first came to Norway, uh, I came here around Christmas, so I felt cold, which, uh, which is no surprise. And uh, even though the winters since then haven't been as cold as they were before, for an Eritrean boy from a subtropic country it it wasn't fun i mean it's definitely something that you tend to have to you have to get used to uh for me my issue oddly enough my issue has never really been uh the cold it's the ice i feel you when i came to norway i already had a, a bad shoulder uh i dislocated my shoulder for the first time when i was five years old i don't even i don't even, I don't even remember how that happened but it happened So since coming to Norway in, I don't know, in nine, ten years now, I think I've had eight shoulder dislocations every you winter. You are the champion. No, I thought no. I'm, the, I'm leading the no, score. No, no. I mean, and this, is not, and this is not a game I want anyone to win. Uh, What we can do about that? Oh, well, my friends always keep telling me, uh, the, no, the, one, the, one, the one rule they always had when I was uh, going to Norskirsch, The one thing they would always say, they were like, uh, "Do you want to learn and how to list how to learn Norsk?" And they're like, "Do you do you want to learn Norwegian?" Like, "Yeah, what can I do?" Go pushy, which means go skiing. And I'm like, "What the hell kind of logic is that?" <laughs> yeah, I can't see. That's that's like my that's uh, that's like uh, me telling you, "Hey, do you want to learn Tigritnya? Eat sabhi." That makes no sense. <laughs> hey, do you want to learn? Uh, do you want to learn the uh, Jamaican slang? Uh, listen to reggae. That's absolutely insane. But since you mentioned mm. uh, how it goes with the language, uh, did you have the regular crush or? Well, I guess f- f- when people come here as refugees, they have to go through a two-year program. So it's I guess it's 200 hours of learning the Norwegian language, plus 50 hours about uh, where you learn the uh, Norwegian society. It's the, the Norwegian so- social studies. It's actually something I'm proud of. I it was a two-year program. I finished that in a year and a half made it up to, I guess you could say, a, a B1 level. But uh, I, I didn't really continue after that. No, the reason for me was what usually happens, especially with a lot of people that, a lot of refugees, when they go through the Norskirsch, there are usually limited options in the sense that, A, once they're done with the Norskirsch or once they've learned enough of it, enough Norwegian, they could try and find work, although their options are usually limited, or they could go to school. But nine times out of ten, because most refugees don't have their certificates, they would have to go back to uh, Vidrogone 
and just like pretty much start over from there. Uh, I was lucky in that sense. Depends. Now that I look at it, I don't know how lucky I might have been. But uh, when I came here, I had already had my bachelor's degree from uh, University of Asmara. I managed to get that validated. So instead of going back to visit Ogona and going through all that, I was able to bypass all that and just attend the University of Oslo uh, and get my master's degree. What, uh, what are your studies? Well, in Eritrea, I had a bachelor's degree in journalism and mass communication. And when I got my and my master's degree in Oslo was in uh, Nordic media studies. So my my I guess my ultimate goal was to get into copywriting and content writing because uh, you know uh, by nature I'm I'm a, I'm a creative individual. I like to write. I have uh, a, a lot of what I've done in the past. I mean, on my spare time has been uh, a lot of songwriting and uh, comedy writing. I, w- I actually started blogging relatively as soon as I came to Norway. I think I started blogging around 2012. My first blog, I just I called it "Man Under Destruction." No, the concept, the the, the idea for that title came from uh, the concept of uh, muscle building. As you lift weights, you create micro tears in your muscles, and it's through rest and proper nutrition that you these micro tears repair themselves. You develop and grow muscle. And the concept for me was, and the idea for me was that uh, in order to uh, develop myself in Norway on some levels, I had to destroy myself one painful day at a time. So that first blog that I still have, it's pretty much just me writing about my thoughts. It could be anything from uh, whatever's going on at home to personal revelations that I've had to uh, me openly talking about my fears. Uh, one of my favorite pieces has been uh, writing about uh, winter depression. Thankfully, that has never happened to me. But okay, yeah, no, <laughs> so I, yeah, I still don't. Don't get me wrong. We're the lucky ones in the sense that, for reasons that I cannot even begin to fathom, it hasn't hit us okay. or as hard as it has a lot of other people as well. Which is not to say that it won't. It's it's a coin toss. I'm mean, sorry, it's a coin toss. Excuse me. Uh, but yeah, so. Uh, it was actually a, a, a pretty. It was actually pretty interesting for me as well because when I was living in Drangedal, while attending the Norskrish, they would always insist that we have these, you know, I don't know, these work study programs or you know, or Norwegian internships, for lack of a better term. And they somehow found out, and I told them that I had been, I had some experience in journalism, so they asked me to uh, be a contributing writer there. Naturally, I wouldn't be paid. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, just give me something to do, give me some work experience. And when they found out that I had a blog, they asked if they could attach that to the websites, uh, to the newspaper's website. And I f- saw that as kind of weird, but I figured, okay, why not? Because the thing for me, I have nothing against Drung at all as a place. But having said that, I'm well aware that it's a small town with small town people who have small town sensibilities. So when something out of the ordinary pops up, it is not always well received. Mm, they found it strange. Oh, definitely. Because they don't know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, and that's always been one of the things I have really, I've, I've struggled. There was a time where I, I struggled to come to, to come to grips with the fact that people could be so apathetic towards each other, in the sense that. These people did not know me, and for some reason, there were days where it felt like they treated, they felt like I was less than human. 
And it actually, that actually really did mess me up to a point that when I came to Oslo, I was like a, I was like a wounded animal. That was the reason you you didn't feel well there. I didn't feel and, well and welcome. So that's why you wanted to to move. Well, yeah. And so when I got into Oslo University, I packed all my stuff and I just hopped on the first thing smoking. It was actually kind of interesting too because uh, my first day at Oslo University. I had this idea that it was going to be all work and no play. Uh, I used to tell people I decided to treat, I was going to treat school like a bank robbery. Get in, get out, nobody gets hurt. And my first day there, I have a conversation which soon turned into an argument with a young lady at school who was from Yemen. And Yemen is is a neighbor is a neighboring country, except you know, it's across the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. But our countries have had a long and illustrious history with each other. No, mostly good. We've had, but the the point of contention for us was over a uh, a small skirmish back in the late '90s between both Eritrea and Ethiopia, both Eritrea and Yemen over a handful of islands. Uh, it's it's I wouldn't call it a skirmish. It was more like, for lack of a better term, two siblings bickering over a toy. <laughs> And I'm not, which is not to say that it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, a serious uh, situation. It, e- it could have easily have erupted into something else. Thankfully, it didn't. But she and I got into this argument. Uh, I don't. All I know is that she gave me this look, and for this, and for a second, I believed in the devil. I saw the devil in this woman's eyes, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to die my, on the first day. I just hope that you know, if they asked that. I just I just hope if they ask who what happened to Samson, I just hope they tell them some like five skinheads beat beat him to death as opposed to one tiny Yemeni woman. But long story short, this woman and her husband eventually would eventually become some uh, two of my closest friends here in Oslo. I, and I and I kid you not, all of my other friends that I have here in Nor- in Oslo, I can trace back to them. It's kind of like. A very unique family tree. Yeah. Only we're not related, and there's a good chance we're probably codependent and dysfunctional, but we're we're there for each other. So that's all that matters for me. In your social life, mm. you have uh, friends from all over the well, world. As actually, I... well, in, well, in Oslo, I would say the majority of my friends are Norwegians, which is a good and a bad thing. It is, Why? <laughs> oh, well, it's good because, one, it gives me a chance to practice my Norwegian. It allows me to learn more about the culture, things that I, I'm learning. I'm, I'm Even 10 years later, I'm still learning new things about the culture. It allows me to learn more about the dialects, which I'm not going to lie, is a killer. A lot of Norwegians I've met have told me, you know, they've, they've always made jokes about people from the north, uh, if, especially if people who speak the northern dialects. I'm not gonna lie. I find the northern dialects to be quite fascinating to hear. I don't know why. I I I it I barely understand what they say, but on some levels, it it's it sounds good. <laughs> it's almost melodic. Yeah, yeah. But then again, uh, I can make I, I can give you an example of that as well. Arabic in Eritrea, Tigrinya is the main language, but Arabic is also a, another official language that we have, much like Norwegian. In Norway, you have Bukmol, Ninosk, and all these other dialects that are in between and, and a combination, and right? It's the same thing with Arabic. Different culture, different parts of the Middle East and Northern Africa speak 
different versions of Arabic. Uh, if you go to Lebanon, which has had a lot of French, French influence, there is a combination of their it's Arabic and French, and that, I guess you could say, the evolution of their native tongue that sort of gives it a very unique flavor, for lack of a better term. So going back to the original question, having Norwegian friends has been good in the sense that it has taught, it has allowed me to uh, practice the language, learn more about the country, and just expose myself to their to uh, their culture and allow them allow me to expose my culture to them. But at the same time, I miss Eritreans. I miss being able to talk to Eritreans. I miss having conversations in my language, even though uh, because you don't know anyone or. Well, no, I mean, there are plenty of Eritreans here, but we just, there haven't been any avenues where we can mm -hmm. sort of meet up. We don't have meeting groups. I mean, we don't have meetups. It was just me and my brother when we came here. We never really had a way to sort of make inroads into the Eritrean community here in, in Oslo. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's not a question of I lack some social criteria or dairy training community haven't uh haven't approved or accepted me that's not the case it just hasn't happened it's just one of those enigmas for lack of a better term but it's one that i i think about a lot and at the same time not so much ultimately i i, I just believe that it'll happen when it happens until then i'm happy with the people i have in my life are you missing home no Without getting into too many details, home is a bit of a unique concept for me. I miss my family. I miss my parents. But I can't say I miss home. And the reason I can give is pretty much that home was in a very happy place. And that's for lack of a better term. Do you feel Oslo is your home? For the first time in a long time, I feel like I have a home, and it is Oslo. And it took a long time for me to realize that. I find that it's not so much the place, but it's the people around you. And yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the people I have in my life, the people that have embraced me and accepted me, that have allowed me to accept them. Uh, truth be told, I really couldn't imagine, I really can't imagine myself living anywhere else and, you know, at my age, I mean, I still have a few adventures left in me, but I might want to see parts of the world. I might want to have some more experiences, but when it's all said and done, Oslo is where I'm coming back to. When that next chapter of my life begins where I can settle down and have a family, if Oslo is not the place, Oslo will be a fond memory that I can share with my children. So yeah, Oslo's home. What is uh, what is you like the most in Oslo? It's familiar, and at the same time, it's easy to get lost. After three years in Drungadal, it was very, very difficult to not stand out, and I didn't like that. I can give you an example. Drungadal has one pub. That's only open two days, two nights a week. And I would choose to go there and, and just to have sit by myself and have a drink. And it's not that I liked the bar or I liked the people there. I didn't like them and they didn't like me. But it was a lot better than sitting in my apartment drinking beers, drinking by myself or having 
turning on TV and having that as ba- as you know as background noise. But then I always felt like when I walked into the bar, I was a target. I mean, I could literally feel people's eyes on me. So when I moved to Oslo, I was initially hyper alert about everything and anything around me. And by the end of the first day, just walking through the streets, I noticed that I didn't care. I mean, I nobody cared. I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm a black guy walking through the streets of Oslo. Why, why isn't people, why aren't the people just staring at me and, you know, looking at me or you know, being suspicious around me? And I realized because I wasn't the only black guy walking down the streets in Oslo. I like the idea that despite the fact that compared to most capital cities, Oslo is relatively small, it's still big enough to disappear. And after three and a half years of small town living, I've come to love that hustle and bustle that comes with living in a city. I love waking up at the crack of dawn and, I don't know, just maneuvering my way from the bus to the subway to the tram just to get to work and back. I, I miss that grind. I mean, one of my first jobs in Oslo was, oddly enough, being a uh, survey taker or an interviewer for Ruter, you know, the main public transportation yeah. firm here in Oslo. So I was literally paid to ride public transportation. I thought it was, you know, I mean, it was fun. I mean, I mean, I did that to pay through college. At first, it was one of the best jobs I had. But then reality set in and things got hard. But that job showed me so much of Oslo. And I can honestly say one of my favorite places in all of Oslo would probably be a bus stop called Havnabakken. The reason for that is it is pretty much a bench on a hill that has a clear view all the way to Oslo's harbor. I have seen that. I've taken so many pictures of that bench. And I, I just can't help but think, oh my goodness, it is... No, it's just a, it's a very tranquil place. So much so that Sounds I... Sounds beautiful, yeah. I actually wanted, yeah, I wanted to write a letter to Rooted because they had this campaign where they were promoting like a person's favorite park bench. I'm like, that's the perfect spot. How is that not uh, on one of those uh, one of Rooter's posters? Yeah, yeah. Wh- why wasn't that part of the campaign? You missed an opportunity. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm not going to evangelize Oslo in the sense that it's not heaven but then home is not meant to be heaven home is home like any other aspect of life you take the good with the bad i've accepted the good i've accepted the bad and it allows me to embrace and enjoy the good so you wouldn't change anything i change a lot of things but then like well i would encourage more hip-hop i mean i'm i'm a, i mean i'm a hip-hop baby all the way and i utterly resent the notion that hip-hop can i mean i mean i i read something a long time ago where a lot of hip-hop spots that I used to play and also were closing down because there's some notion that hip-hop leads to criminality which i i i mean don't get it twisted i mean i i'll be the first one to admit that yeah you know we 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 sing and glorify and glamorize a lot of unseemly things and a lot of uh, bad elements, but then... But that's also true. That's true. I, I, that's I'm not, what's happening. Yeah, but then at the same time, 
it's no different than any other genre of music. I mean, that, the thing for, for me is when I hang out with my Norwegian friends, they're all metalheads. They're all into classic rock, and I got nothing. I got nothing against classic rock. Metal, eh? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, say, I mean, I'm not gonna disrespect any genre of music, but kind of like something I can dance to. I mean, I and you know, at the same time, it has been one of those things for me. You know, music has always been that one thing that we agree to disagree upon. I, I know what I like. I stick to what I like. So I could never. I could. I, I couldn't be a good DJ. Stand-up comedian, on the other hand, uh, no, I, I definitely do a lot of that. Did you have uh, some uh, stand-up comedian? I did. I did maybe one or two amateur shows in Grunland, uh -huh. but you know, wife caught up with me, so I never got a chance to sort of follow up on that. I actually, uh, my New Year's resolution for 2020 had been uh, do more stand-up, and then Corona hit. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it will be stand-up. Well, <laughs> no, I, I stick I stick to Instagram now, but I will tell you this much. Uh, my baby brother once told, gave me a, a quote that still rings that still rings true to this day. Robespierre, the French, uh, uh, I was a poet, a politician, or theologist, I forgot what he was. He said, "God is a comedian playing to an audience that's too afraid to laugh." And I'm sitting here thinking, "Yeah, no shit." I I wanted to do stand up comedy in uh, in 2020 and. Uh, Apparently, all the spots are closed now, and you know I, I don't want to start it. And and for me, I, somebody told me you could try and live stream it on Facebook. I I can't do that. I mean, it's not your thing, no. Well, no, it's not that it's not my thing. It's that for me, I do I you prefer it live. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I I feed off of uh, of uh, that audience that energy. Feedback, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I love and and especially I I love picking on people. And I know it's counterintuitive. It's a bit antagonistic for me to say that I'm not a bully and then say I like picking on people. But I guess I, I like I like being provocative. I am intentionally provocative in many ways. Well, you know, not many ways. On stage, I am I am the biggest not nice person <laughs> on the planet. But, th but that's part of my charm, especially when, when I'm telling jokes. And I love doing that. And... That's the one thing I want to do when uh, a lot of these restrictions are lifted. I want to get back to doing stand-up. Yeah, I wish you all the luck. And Knock on wood. <laughs> I'll come and okay. be that audience feedback. I don't want to offend you, but I will. <laughs> okay. Not, uh, okay. I'll be ready. <laughs> How does your Sundays usually look? More often. more often than not, it's me. It's my Sundays pretty much consist of me recovering from Saturday night. No, no, bad joke. Uh, my Sundays now it's pretty much you know before Corona. Oh well, before yeah. Corona. Uh, believe it or not, I Sunday is it's not a fasting day. It's it's, it's my day. I, I devote that to God. Before Corona, I would attend church at uh, Saint Olaf's Domkirke in uh, in Central Oslo. As I said, Eritrean, Eritrea is predominantly Orthodox Christian, but you know we do have various sects of Christianity. And I have been attending Catholic churches since I was 15. I like that church service because it's in English. It's very welcoming. It's very accepting. And uh, much like with stand-up comedy, I love the energy that, that I feel in church, it's whether it's in the middle of Mass or whether I'm just I pop in just for a quick prayer. After Corona, it's pretty much uh, me lighting candles in my room, holding my Bible and just uh, saying a prayer, confessing my sins. 
and I try to meditate. It's uh, something that somebody suggested, and I find that it does help with my anxieties. From my Sundays, pretty much it consists of uh, relaxation, prayer, meditation, and self-love, which I'm I'm good at a lot of things. Loving myself though has not been one of them, and I'm still trying to figure out how I got to that point. But yeah, my Sundays is pretty much just me giving myself a chance to recover from the other six days. Recharge. Oh, definitely. It's not just even just recharge. I think it's also, I don't want to say glorify yourself, but I think more like when you sit down and say, you have done well, you've earned this, this day to rest. You've done a good job and you deserve to relax and be comfortable. I like waking up and knowing that, you know, I don't have to get up. I don't have to do anything, but I choose to get up. I choose to do things. And I think for me, uh, this was something I've had to learn how to break. When I was, when I, when I was going to school, I was working two part-time jobs while going to school. And how this would work would be, uh, I would, I would go to school from eight in the morning till three in the afternoon. And I had my first part-time job with, for Richard where I worked from 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. And I do that from Monday to Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday, every other weekend, I would have this other part-time job that I would do. And if I wasn't doing that, I would spend it in the reading hall at school, either working on assignments or writing my thesis. And I did that for two years. And I worked like that with this mantra feeling. I didn't really understand. I couldn't really articulate it. I couldn't put it into words. And... It wasn't until like years after I graduated, I realized I was able to articulate that feeling that was, I had to keep working. I had to put myself through stress. I couldn't, relaxation was the enemy. If I wasn't stressed, I wasn't being productive. And it wasn't until recently I realized how so damaging that is. The potential damage that could do to somebody. You think that you you did that to yourself or the society and the things that are going fast and we all need to and struggling to have more jobs and or it was just the rhythm that you put yourself a little bit of both actually well one that is the nature of the world but then at the same time in Eritrea I was always the wonder kid I got skipped a few grades I finished I graduated from high school relatively young I graduated from college relatively young and I always managed to excel I was always that wonder kid. And then I came to Norway and I found out that I was behind everybody else. I was around 31 when I started school and I was going to school with kids that were about 22, 23. And on some levels you could say, but you know, you really can't compare yourself to these kids because these guys have had like what a 10 year head start. You just came here. You barely managed to learn the language. And even though your your study program was in English, it was a completely different structure. It was a completely different program. It was vastly different from what you're used to. So you can't hold yourself to the same standards that you used to. And logically, that made sense. But in my mind, I'm like, yeah, kill that noise. It's, you know, you either sink or swim. So, you know, you got you to gotta keep at it. You got to keep. So I worked harder than everybody else in school. Something else that I'm actually very proud of in that uh, out of most of my classmates, 
half of us turned in our assignment or master's theses within the allotted two-year period, whereas quite a few would apply for extensions, which which is fair. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that, and I am not condemning these people. But I, for me, I, I felt that applying for an extension would have been a personal failure. So I was proud of myself for being able to turn in my thesis on time within a two-year period while holding down those two part-time jobs. But looking back, I think what killed me is that sense of me comparing myself to them, comparing myself to what I saw as their potential, a potential that I lacked. Because I felt like, you know, I'm 31, I'm, you know, I should have my life figured out by now. And somebody said something to me that still resonates with me to this day. The problem with comparing yourself to other people is that you tend to compare the worst aspects of yourself with the best aspects of other people. And nine times out of 10, that is not a battle you can win. And don't get me wrong, despite realizing that I still do that from time to time, but now I have a better sense of that. I realize that you have to pick a day to give your body rest. Otherwise, your body will pick that day for you. And, <laughs> oh, definitely. But it, I think that's, that's, that's a common theme with a lot of immigrants. And especially whether you're skilled labor or unskilled labor, we have to work twice as hard just to be, I don't want to say treated equally, but just to get as much. Professionally, I, I have close to 16 years of experience as a journalist, as a content and copywriter and a handful of jobs I've done here, here and there. And I'm still hustling just to get internships. I'm still struggling to do something that I want. And before I came to this country, the idea of job satisfaction, that was just a joke to me. That's just something that white people made up just so they could justify why they hate their jobs. But then I realized, no, that's not really the case. I mean, I'm hardworking. I will take any job that I take. But then it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be happy with what I do. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't take pride in what I do. And as much as I like, I mean, right now I work for kindergartens and as much as I enjoy children, it doesn't give me that kind of, the kind of that sense of pride that I would get from writing blog posts for companies or or just finding ways to communicate with people or doing stand-up. These things bring me joy. And I realized I have a right to feel these things. I think for me, I find it incredibly, it's motivating and aggravating that, sorry, we have to work twice as hard just to get the things that we want. That no matter how many years you've lived here, you still feel that sense that you have something to prove. And if I had to be brutally honest, it will be a long time, if ever, before I reach that point in my life where, especially living in Oslo, where I don't feel that urge to have to prove something. I think I'll, part of me will always be struggling and fighting to prove things. Do you think that will change? Now that Norway is getting more multicultural and diverse. Well, there's that old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And while that is the case, oh, Norway is becoming more 
diverse, more multicultural, but then it doesn't change the fact that nine out of 10 Norwegian organizations will still prefer to hire Norwegians. I've actually, one of my favorite things, especially when it comes to the job hunt, has been, and when I, I'm being sarcastic when I say this, by the way, I've been told on more than one occasion, I've been rejected for quite a few jobs. I don't want to give you that number because it's just quite depressing. But on more than one occasion, the reason they cited for rejecting me for certain positions have been that the position requires a native English speaker. And truth be told, I went to international schools in Eritrea. I, I, I learned English before I learned my own language. Which is not, I mean, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that with pride. I'm not proud of that. That's just, it's just a fact. So, the idea of Norwegians questioning my comprehension of the English language, it, these are the things that uh, give me plenty of, uh, that give me plenty to talk about whenever I do stand up. Uh, anyone who's seen my stand up knows that the one thing I love to do is dog on Norwegians. I, I talk so much crap about Norwegians. It is not even funny. The <laughs> first time I heard Norwegians spoken to me, uh, this, this drunk old person, I was going to use a particular word, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to. This drunk, this old drunk guy got up, it was just started mumbling all this stuff that I really don't understand. I, I really can't remember now. And, you know, he, I think he tried to take a swing at me. I dodged and he fell down and he kept yelling at me in Norwegian. And I'm like, sir, are you having a stroke? Do you know what year it is? Who's the president of Norway? I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? Norway doesn't have a president. <laughs> I just, I thought this person was ill. Turns out, no, he wasn't mentally ill. He was just drunk and racist. I'm like, oh, to be fair, you don't get a lot of uh, racist old white guys in Eritrea. So it, uh. It was, it was a bit of an experience for me. <laughs> Unfortunately, soon we need to end our conversation, but is there anything more you would like to add? No, I just wanted to uh, say uh, one thing I like about... It's my first podcast. And the one thing I like about this podcast is that it offers validation. It's not something we need to earn, but I think it validates our experiences as immigrants or expatriates living in Norway. As human beings, we seek validation. And I think for me, a lot of my experiences, especially when I was living in Drumadal, I did not, I felt like I had to seek approval and validation from, oh, for lack of a better term, ignorant rednecks. That's right, I said it. And in that search for validation, I endured so much abuse and disrespect. In hindsight, I regret that I went that far. And I think that's what a lot of people fail to understand. We don't need charity. We don't need, you know, a, a boost up. We just need people to understand that Coming to Norway is not easy. Even if you have a support network, even if you have a spouse, even if you have the world's greatest job, living in Norway is an acquired experience. It's an acquired taste in the sense that it's not something that you sort of fall in love with right away. 
it has happened and you know god bless those that have experienced it but then for people like us we make the effort to learn the language to get jobs to work to work in jobs that are outside of our area of expertise but we do that because we are willing to do whatever it takes to become contributing members of society so i think to a lot of people who are listening to this we're not here to take your jobs we're not here to enjoy your benefits we're just here to make lives for ourselves and the fact that we are willing to learn the language to work hard to endure all this it should be it should be a sign to you people about a sign of how much we want to be a part of this society because i'll be the first one to admit norway is a great place to live but having said that i shouldn't have to fight for my right to live here every damn day whether it's the current political system whether it's societal norms and perspectives whether it's just a couple of individuals with swastikas tattooed on their on their foreheads i shouldn't have to constantly justify my presence in norway i'm here i'm doing my part get out of my face oh, this was yeah, uh, that, yeah, the, that. the time just passed <laughs> or passing so fast mm. i'm i i really enjoyed uh, listening mm. your story your your uh, thoughts mm. so unfortunately we need to end oh. and i really i'm really grateful that that you are here Not thank you very much for being our guests and uh, welcome again in the region newcomers family it's a pleasure being here thank you thank you